0: I was living in a devil town,
1: I didn't
0: know it was a devil town,
1: oh lord it really brings me down. I'm Welcome to the Devil's devil Junkie town. Podcast 4 and 0 version, I'm Ralph Amson, I'm here with Brett Quintine and Chili as always and we are here to talk a little bit about the home win over Cal Berkeley and, and, and discuss... Uh, this away game at USC as well. I mean, let's jump right into it. 31 point fourth quarter ends up with a 10 point win for Arizona State over Cal. Uh, Brett, what were your impressions of first half, second half, and how it ended up? I think this team is, I'm going to state the obvious, I,
2: I, they're good. But what I'm seeing is them gelling and making the proper adjustments at halftime. 31 points is huge, that's gonna win most games in the fourth quarter. We look at what they did in the fourth quarter against UTSA the week before and basically shut them out and really it was a, a pendulum swing. So, yeah, I'd say the Sun Devils are doing what they need to do, and more importantly, they're winning the second halves of games, which are going to carry.
0: Chili? I I kind of agree. I think that this uh, ASU team kind of has a uh, Rocky Balboa mindset. They're going to take your best shots early and win at the end. And I, I like that. I'm cool with that. Like, you know, see how much the opponents can, you know, give you that you can withstand. Take all their best shots. There's nothing more they can do. Sure. And then... Show them what you can.
2: Because as long as they're in the game, ASU has a chance. We know they can score points. You don't want to be down 28.
1: But if you're down 14, 17 points, Sun Devils have proven they can come back. Now, there's a part of that game that really didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, and that was, you know, they they give up that touchdown going into halftime. They surrender uh, all of of the momentum that they had seized. uh, And then they, um, you know, you look at the stat sheet, Manny Wilkins is five of ten. He's not doing much. Uh, he's taken off running. Only a couple of those were designed runs. They'd really only given the ball to a running back nine times in the first half. Handed the ball off nine times in the first half to a team that came in ranked 126th in the in, in the FBS in rush defense. And so. You know, you're, you're looking at that, and and that seemed to me like a coaching issue. And beyond just a coaching issue, then you see the bottom line scroll on ESPN and see that Memphis dropped 77 <laughs> on Bowling Green. And all of a sudden you wonder, like, is this transition from Norvell to to Chip Lindsay not what it, it looked like it was heading toward? You know, what, what do you make of the play calling in the first half of this game? I'm going to say suspect. I, I think they're... Uh... Their initial game
2: plan, hey, you know what? We know Cal's going to score. Let's try to score with him. Let, let's try to beat him by the air. But they did not go to the Golden Bears' defense, and obviously that's why they got into that hole. So I would definitely say that the uh, it was a tale of two halves. You have to attack your defense. You have to attack, better yet, not even so much the defense. You have to attack your opponent's weakness. And we'll go back to the second half. They learned how to do that.
0: I remember sitting with you, Ralph, um, in the press box and you seemed confused to the point of frustration at the lack of handoffs um, on the ASU side. Um, You know, I I don't even know what to really attribute that to other than, uh, you know, I don't think that ASU is trying to show everything right away. I, I really think that they really are trying to take their best hits early just to see how much they can withstand. And
2: I'd like to see a game, though, where they truly pound, where they just really win it in the trenches. Obviously, their strength, well, they've got a lot of strengths, but I'd like to see that 35, 40 times on the ground, which is something we could have seen in that first half, not all the carries in the first half. But, yeah, I'd
1: like to see more of the running game established. I mean, at halftime, you know, you were, you were looking at a team that lost what looked to be Kaelin Balash for a very long time, you know. He had the chaplain whispering in his ear. He had the towel over his head. He had his hands over his face. Uh, he he had the trainer doing the wiggling your your uh, <laughs> shin back and forth to see if there were any shreds of your ACL left on this planet. And uh, and, and coupled with uh, you had Kareemore who who I think broke up the first pass that went his way. Talked a little bit of trash. And then Chad Hansen commenced to catch eight the next eight receptions that went his way. Uh, And then beyond that, you know, you also had, uh, offensively, Nikhil Harry going up against Marlo Sean Franklin, also from Chandler High. I don't believe they ever played together. But Marlo Sean's a kid who had to go to MCC, didn't get any offers out of high school, and then went with Cal as his only offer out of MCC. And Marlo Sean Franklin's doing a pretty good job on Nikhil Harry. And it it felt like offensively, defensively, play-calling, injury-wise – that you know it the end was near. It was dire circumstances <laughs> coming out of halftime. It really didn't have the feel of a game that ASU belonged in or was destined for if you you know if you count in the injuries and everything like that. Uh and, and Cal was doing most of its damage offensively with you know Chad Hansen, a guy who was at Idaho State two years ago, and then two freshmen uh, Melke Stovall and Demetrius Robertson, freshmen. So, you know, this was a – there just wasn't really a silver lining for Arizona State uh, in that first half. And they come out in the second half a completely different team, offensively, defensively. I mean, and one of the funny things is Todd Graham talks to the sideline reporter right before the second half, says this team just needs to bear down. Funny. Which anybody watching the game was like, you're not allowed to say that. I'm like, how could things go any worse than they're going right now? And then you're going to go and give out the rival slogan. Uh, but, you know, ASU drops, I think, 41. 41, 42 overall in the, in the second half. I think 41, mm-hmm. you're correct. And, and uh, 31 of that comes in the fourth. They're scoring defensive touchdowns um, and, and they remain undefeated. What did you see in that second half uh, that was most encouraging? I'm going to say the defense with the interception
2: returns. That was that electrified the crowd, the Salamo Fisu. Uh, even the kickoff return for a touchdown on sides. It's not so much special teams or the single defensive play. I like the fact that they can put up some points without always having to be on offense. They can hitch in a lot of different ways, but I think seeing those two plays, it's like, wow, this team is blowing me away right now. Whether you're a fan or a reporter or anything like that, you really liked what you saw in the fourth quarter because there was a little bit of everything. They were points from all three units, and that's huge for a successful team.
0: Man, I tell you, ASU is just night and day with, with the way they're playing. and not night. And, day, and I honestly don't want to say that it's night and day in a bad way, but the way that they played late in those last mm-hmm. five minutes – there's something special about this team. There is something special about this team that I don't think any of us have even uncovered yet. I don't know if it's the um, stay true, stay home thing where a lot, of some, a lot of these recruits like that are like contributing and that are impacting the team are from here. Um, I don't know, it, there, there's something about this team. Just like there was something about Mary. There's something about this team. Wow.
1: So- <laughs> Brett brought up scoring on defense. Ever since hiring Todd Graham, Arizona State's second in the country.
0: Wait. Speaking of scoring, I need you to tell your story. (laughs) The story that you were screaming up to everybody on the on the field when your boy ran that touchdown in on the onside kick.
1: Oh DJ Calhoun. Okay, so special teams touchdown. DJ (laughs) Calhoun probably should have fallen on the ball at the end of the game. Ends up scoring the touchdown that puts him up, I think, 51-41 and ends mm-hmm. it. Um, got, got Todd Graham in his ear after that. And uh, my only touchdown of my high school football career uh. was uh, was I decided to pick up an onside, hurdle a guy, and uh, and run it in for a touchdown. And I spent the rest of that game <laughs> on the bench Wow. Uh, towel over my head like Caleb Balazs, but it was only my feelings that were hurt. Oh. Uh, I think, like, I not only did I get benched, but uh, I was on the bench anyway uh, for academic reasons for the first half. So this was the first, this is the opening play of the second half. It was against Mesquite. I picked the ball up. I run it in <laughs> for a touchdown, and I'm celebrating. I immediately, like, look to the stands to see where my family is and they all went home because I didn't play in the first half They I going to sit the whole game. So they don't see my only good play. I get in trouble from the coaches, and then after the game, my dad was like, you can like, start walking, I'll pick you up on the way home. So it was just not wow. – not, I mean, I'm I, I still pretty proud of that touchdown, but if anybody <laughs> you should, ever kicks yeah. an onside kick your way, fall on the ball. It's, not, it's definitely it not such, worth
0: it. It's such an awesome story. It makes me laugh every and time. And I'm not it.
1: sure if Calvin got in trouble for uh, – running the ball back or going with the throat slash ninja kick after scoring the touchdown, but yes. overall I don't think Todd Graham was, was too happy with that. I saw him walking off the field after after the game, after you know they're singing ASU's fight song with the band, and he's still like wow. raving and raving, and so um, I, I think it's something that Calhoun will always remember and he's, you know, I, something I've always remembered was doing something wrong and getting positive results, but Getting back to the defensive touchdowns, you know they they have since hiring Todd Graham, and this is courtesy of Doug Tamro and ASU SID office. Um, but since hiring Todd Graham, they have 17 defensive touchdowns. 14 of those are pick sixes. The 17 defensive touchdowns are the second most in the country right. since hiring Todd Graham. Uh, second only to Ohio State, who has an absurd so, 22. That's yeah, the But the pick sixes at 14. That's the most. Now, ASU gets burned defensively a lot. ASU's defensive backs are coached by Todd Graham, so you know you you give Todd Graham credit for uh, for the failings, but also you know you, you gotta a plus give him, side in yeah that. The, the successes as well. They've created a lot of points off turnovers where you don't even have to bring the offense out on the field. Would have been 15 if Gump Hayes didn't fall over at the one and gave Caleb Balazs an additional touchdown against Texas Tech. So, um, I mean, is, are we at the point where you just kind of depend on the defense to go out and, and, and get your points? Are they out there gambling? You know, how, how do you explain this type of uh, scoring on defense?
2: I'm going to say it's a gamble. High risk, high rewards. I mean, they're. Uh, They're giving up points, there's no doubt about it. They gave up the 32, to, or actually the 28 to UTSA, obviously a bunch to Texas Tech and even here to Cal. When you you give up a lot of points, your defensive back, well, A, the ball's gonna be in the air quite a bit. So your defensive backs are doing one of two things. They're either chasing or they're diving for the ball and in 14 cases, they've been able to get the ball and bring it all the way home. So I I think it's a risk-reward scenario i like the gamble. I'd like to see, and of course you can't really necessarily have it both ways, I suppose if you're Ohio State, you kind of can, but you don't want to see this many points given up, but certainly you enjoy the points of, off turnovers. So right now they're in that gambling phase, and I think it's something that we've kind of collectively felt this team, defense as well, is only going to get
1: better as the season progresses. One place that I think ASU uh, is, uh, it feels like once per game uh, they they have issues is on these little screen passes that turn into 70-plus yard runs for touchdowns. Chili, we, we, you know, we're watching, and, and that happens again this week. I mean, what, what do you need to do to put a stop to that?
0: You know, I think going back to what Brett was saying, sometimes when you gamble you're looking for, like, the big plays. The big plays come off of those screen passes, but not very often. So when somebody catches you sleeping, they – it gets really bad, and it turns a three-yard pass or, you know, something behind the line of scrimmage into, you know, a 73-yard gain, a touchdown. And, you know, it. fortunately for ASU this year, those plays haven't been, quote-unquote, backbreaking because we haven't lost because of one of those plays.
1: Well, and what's been interesting is that teams don't necessarily go back to that. You know, one of the reasons that ASU has been so strong in the second half against... Texas Tech and any of everybody so far is that there hasn't been a lot of alteration to stay ahead of the curve from opposing coaches. They go back to what was successful, I think minus the screen game. Mm-hmm. They go back to what was successful. They don't need to go to the screen game as much because ASU really isn't blitzing in the second half. It's true. You know, they're opening with the blitz and then they're making defensive adjustments and what we talked about last week on the podcast was Davis Webb's not going to run the ball. So when you find out where he's going with it and he, you know, he almost threw for 500 yards. <laughs> he is definitely a talented quarterback, and we'll get into a little bit of a, uh, of a question about him here in a second. But when, when you have Davis, not gonna, he's not going to run the ball. And so when you figured out kind of where he's going to go with it, you know, they had Chad Hansen got two catches in that second half. You know, if it wasn't for uh, an incredible catch in the back of the end zone uh, for, for Cal's final touchdown, oh, you know, yeah. the, the defensive true. stats would look really, really great. Um, for that for that second half, but I, I I want to talk about Davis Webb because going into the game, Chili said Davis Webb is not Patrick Mahomes. Um, he he comes out, he has a very very strong game at quarterback. But you know we've seen two probably two of the best quarterbacks in in FBS and definitely one of the best at the FCS level over the first four weeks of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, where would you rank you know Mahomes against a guy like Davis Webb? I'm going to go with.
2: Mahomes being better. I, I mean, he's he's ahead of Davis Webb. I mean, Mahomes is, uh, from what I saw, well, I'll even go back to what I've seen, not only so much in this particular game, but what I've seen in general. I think Mahomes is a little bit more polished. I just think that Mahomes kind of has himself together. I think he's more of a prospect for the next level if that was to occur for both. So I would say the Texas Tech quarterback, or the current Texas Tech quarterback, is better than Davis Webb.
0: Uh, Mahomes is definitely top 10. I think uh, Davis Webb is on the outside looking in of that. Um, they, they are they, I, I don't know if there's another team um, in FBS that has uh, played three quarterbacks that are this good, this early, but I mean, I don't know, I, I'd probably say that you know Mahomes is probably number 10 in the country. And, yeah, he's up there. I mean, know, he, he's Davis someone Webb you don't—he's someone you have to game plan for. Davis like. Webb might be like eighteen or something. They're both good. Really, you
1: know, I—I look at them both and I—I see two first-round quarterbacks. And I, one of the reasons I like Davis Webb is because he was killing ASU with two freshman receivers and a guy from Davis Idaho State. State.
0: First-round quarterback though means that you have to be one of like the top five quarterbacks. I take J.T. Barrett. I take the kid from Clemson. Deshaun Watson. Yeah, yeah, I take I take oh, UCLA's uh Josh Rosen. Rosen. Um, who else would I take? I I I, I take the boy from Louisville right now. I was now. gonna say Lamar Jackson. Well, the, is the problem is NFL, NFL
1: teams can't take Lamar Jackson. They can't take Rosen yet, and so right. it's a matter of trying I to take figure Baker out what do, you do, know, and, and so. Nah, mm. uh, that's a good one. Baker I don't, don't know. He's a, he's another guy that threw for five hundred yards against ASU and
0: another kid that ASU is gonna see. I take uh the kid from Washington State.
1: Luke Falk? Yes, okay. Luke Falk. That's Ford. a guy who's going to throw This is why me and
0: Ralph work. I just kind of have the gut feeling, but he knows the name already. So uh, Both of you guys, I appreciate you both.
1: Here's another thing. Karan Crump, uh, he, he gets a couple of sacks, he gets a strip sack, he c- recovers a fumble at the end of the game, kind of holding the ball up. It looked like he was holding the heart, like old mm-hmm. Mortal Kombat Kano move. Yes. Uh, and so, it. He's been a pleasant surprise. He got so much speed off the edge. Good grief is he's small. It honestly, he's a linebacker, but it looks like a cornerback rushing off the edge with his speed. And there was one time where he hit Davis Webb going full speed and still kind of like rode him to the ground <laughs> the way like a puppy knocks over a big dog. Uh, I, it is nice to see some of these Juco transfers making an impact right away. Mm-hmm. Um, do, is Karam Crump a good player fitting that role in the system or are we seeing a potential star for asu i we could be seeing a star we definitely could i mean
2: i like the fact i mean like you mentioned he's already quote unquote in he's contributing he's solid he could be a star i mean i like the um i have a penchant for some of these smaller linebackers. I mean, there's that stereotype. There's that mold that these guys are in. But when you get a guy who's maybe perhaps a bit undersized, who's just as effective as anybody else on the field, that bodes well for the future. Well, Uh,
1: ASU fans don't mind the uh, smaller linebackers. If you guys remember Pat Tillman, you know, it's been, uh, I think it's 20 years to the day since he, uh it, he helped wreck oregon you know and he he, he was somebody that worked out for it. you know chris young was a smaller guy and, and, and ended up with a lot of sacks and so it it, it works out really well for um, if, if you're blitz from the outside with some of these smaller guys offensive tackles really can't get to them they've got the athleticism to get away from blocking running backs but at the same time, you know, you, you do need them to have the speed to drop back into coverage and Crump has provided that. And and
0: you guys say smallish, not meaning that the kid is short or anything like that, because he is tall. He's long. He's like what, like six thirty or something like that? Crump but I, his frame is Yeah, I I, kind I of light. yeah, I
1: think you're right. He is he, he's definitely got the height, but he's right. a kid who goes out there probably around two fifteen.
0: Right, 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 right. So that's, for a linebacker, built like is. a shooting guard.
1: Yeah, right. Absolutely. That's absolutely very true. So, uh, basically, uh, recruiting has hit a lull. They're not necessarily out offering up any kids, but they did have a lot of locals who are targets uh, come out to the game. This is a couple of weeks in a row now. You had the Pola Mao brothers, Isaiah and Matthew. You know These are huge priorities for Arizona State. Isaiah, the, the 2017 senior, um, you know, he, he was in attendance. You had the Harris brothers. Jalen, oh, no, Jason. Jalen okay. is committed to U of A, but he went out there, went to an ASU game. His dad, Sean Harris, played for U of A, played in the NFL. Uh, Jason is a six foot seven freshman. That's crazy. It was good to kind of get him in early. You had a few guys who they probably won't offer, but are really, really good Arizona. Players like uh, Trey Bug at Field, Cade Warner from Desert Mountain, Tyler Stevens from Hamilton. You had a lot of guys out there, and it's good to get a win in front of all of these kids. I talked to Gary Chambers after the game, and he even commented uh, how much different it is to see such a focus on the locals. Now, uh-huh. ASU hasn't had an offer, hasn't had you know more than one or two offers out in the last couple of months, uh, isn't looking at Texas... Uh, as heavily with offers you know aren't going to come back with any. incident. not indiscriminately throwing out offers to to Texas and California, but they are focusing a lot in-state right now. Um, we've had this conversation a million times, Brett. You prefer the best players from anywhere. Chile, you've kind of taken the position of, you know, you need to lock down your – you need to put up the fence. Um well, my question is, you've seen, let's say they land some of these 2017 guys like Tyler Johnson, like K.J. Jarrell, who is out there, like Isaiah. We Brown. win.
0: Then we, win. Then you, we do win.
1: You feel like they're good enough. I mean, we've see, you've seen some out-of-state teams this year. You've seen out-of-state teams. Is this 2017 class getting six or seven kids from Arizona, maybe more, is that enough to, to help sustain the program?
0: Everybody is fighting for these top kids in California, Texas, Florida, and like in the Midwest. Ohio. We'll say
2: it, right, okay.
0: Ohio and stuff. We have to win our best kids locally first. We win them, we'll win everything else, period. I
2: tell you what I like about what's been going on, the buzz keeps going like, for instance, the Trey Bugs, like the Tyler Stevens, even if they end up not necessarily being offered or coming on board the whole nine yards, the fact that consistently you're having these top high school kids come out to games, and the biggest thing about recruiting, just like in sales or advertising, word of mouth. Hey, I had a great time at the game, and next thing you know, you're telling guys who are underclassmen, and you in your high school, and that's how you get that pipeline, and that's how you'll get that diamond in the rough. So, yeah, you may – I'm just going to use Williamsfield, for example. Yeah, you may have a couple kids who are stars at Williamsfield who may not end up coming to ASU, but as long as they keep showing up at games and as long as they keep talking that school up, next thing you know, maybe that freshman at Williamsfield ends up there and he's the star stud of 2021.
1: Right, and it's not only these you know kids that just get their invites that are coming out to the game, but the commits are, are there every week. Curtis Hodges – Corey Stevens uh, we That's saw big. there. Um, you know, we saw Poplowski again. Yeah. So, you know, the, these guys who are committed, you know, they're not talking to other schools. They're coming in every single week to watch ASU play. We know Kyle Soley's family's had season tickets forever. So, you know, the, these guys are definitely committed. They're in these other recruits ears, working on them. Um, well, there are guys that I didn't think they'd have much of a chance with uh, just 12 months ago, like Austin Jackson and, and Tyler Johnson, who you know, you, or Isaiah pull who you'd have to say ASU's probably in their top two.
0: And, you know, I've talked to the kids in the past. I've talked to like the chase Lucases and stuff while they were in high school. And they told me like, I'm going to go to ASU and I'm bringing everybody with me. I'm in Nikhil's ear. I'm in Byron Murphy's ear. And then I talked to Paploski this year and he said, yeah, new devil's order. We're getting everybody. I'm, I'm on the phone with Austin Jackson. I'm on the phone with, um, Ty, big money Tyler Johnson, and I talked to Tyler Johnson. He's like, oh, yeah, man We play Xbox all the time, and we're always talking about it. And I about- think that's huge like that's Ridiculously huge. We, we gotta keep we gotta keep um, We got we got to show that we run our Backyard we cannot let the other schools around the nation pick out our best players because quite honestly for a long time Arizona hasn't had the landscape of which to do so you take our top two players and and it's like you took like our two, four, or five stars, and then everything else is two. It everything is, t- else is. It two is tough
1: stars. watching watching NFL on Sunday and, and them saying you know, Everson Griffin sacks Cam Newton three times. Miami, uh, the Minnesota Vikings three and zero. And Everson Griffin, Agua Fria High School, USC. You know, it's wow. it's, it's okay. tough seeing. Some, it's, it's tough seeing the Saints get railroaded by the Falcons and have the announcers come on and be like. Big reason for this is there's no Cam Jordan in the in in the lineup tonight. Uh, you know, this is a kid who went to Chandler High and went to Cal Berkeley. So you know, hearing that Cal stuff, Berkeley's not even that
0: good. Like <laughs> if, if, if Cal Berkeley's been struggling for that same period of time that Arizona State was struggling. Like well, if you're going to struggle, struggle at home. Right. Hang out with your people. Well, we're here to support you and help you get better.
1: Then again, it also wasn't too bad hearing. Oh, that's Ryan Fitzpatrick's six interceptions Island of the day. The he went to Island. Harvard. <laughs> so to some Harvard, of yeah. those you don't regret too much from this weekend, but at the same time, you know, most of the guys that go to the NFL are from the state of Arizona um, didn't go to ASU, and actually, almost half weren't offered. So
0: we—that's the worst part.
1: We're wondering this year if you know you see guys like Kyler Fackrell and Blake Martinez and. And, and all these other guys, and and obviously you can't project what somebody's going to be like three, four years down the road. It does feel like this year ASU's trying to make some of those projections, take some under-the-radar guys, and, and hit. But then again, it, if it ends up being a risk and these guys never see the field, the upside is they are recruiters for you on your
0: team. I want to know, out of the few, last few coaching regimes, um, jerk cutter, um, Dennis Erickson, um, you know, obviously Todd Graham, comparing the top, like, 25 players in the state of Arizona, how those coaches recruited them, who they offered and who they didn't offer.
1: I've gone through that a few times. Brad Denny did a great thing one time in a few. Shout out Speak of the Devils. Yeah, shout out to Speak of the Devils podcast, good friends of ours. Brad Denny went through and he talked to all of the high school coaches around here just sort of about the differences between Todd Graham and and Dennis Erickson and the dirt cutter era and the tie Graham era It's just kind of been an open door policy. Now with Donny Yantis on the staff and Cotteran Hamilton on the staff, these are guys that the that high school coaches know and trust. Donny Yantis was calling all these coaches while he was starting the program over at A C U. You couldn't have a better ambassador or a more familiar face for them. So, but Donny Yantis is focusing on 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 local kids while your assistant coaches are kind of out handling California, Texas, and everything like that, and I guess we'll see how it works out. Let's jump into USC briefly. Um, They are a sinking ship Mm -hmm. right now. There is a very good possibility that this could be the third time that USC dumps a coach right Mm -hmm. after uh, playing ASU. Obviously, uh, USC beat the snot out of ASU last year, uh, but uh, Sarkeesian had some liquid courage when he was making some of those play calls. He doesn't last another week after ASU, um, and then there's the whole uh, Lane Kiffin on the tarmac thing, uh, which which ASU fans are are, are definitely fond of. Um, but Clay Helton, I think, is one and four or one and five in his when last you, six or something. I think in that? Four, one in five. And uh, and they have not looked good in two of their in two of their games this year against Stanford and and Alabama. They. They've definitely not looked good. Uh, losing to Utah, I watched that game. You know, you get people saying the sky is falling. I thought they looked good against Utah. I just thought Utah had the they ball They came last. back late. Right, yeah. right, that's right. But, but I, I, honestly thought they looked good. And then come to find out, you know, they 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 lose one of their best offensive tackles, uh, who's going to be limited this week, uh, Jackie Jones. Uh, who's one of my favorite high school players he's out with a with a hurt ankle he's probably not gonna be playing against Arizona State they got players out for a rest they got players out that have quit the team or thrown punches at coaches or however that went um, this is a must win for USC does that create danger for ASU uh, or, or do you think this is a game that ASU can handle I think it's a game that ASU can handle I think this
2: usc team might be the first losing usc team since the paul hackett days i mean something that i feel usc has not been the trojans that we know since pete carroll with the various injuries like you said arrests they're starting the red shirt freshman quarterback obviously he started a couple games now but they don't seem to have the pieces i mean last year they came in they did the whole blowout thing juju schuster I just don't see this team effective the way they were. They're having, um, I'm gonna say, running back issues. Neither guy, Justin Davis or Ronald Jones, seems to step up. Overall, this, this squad is not gelling. They go through Lord knows how many coaches. It's, it's bad news at the Coliseum. And just quick tidbit, this will be the 600th home game for USC in their history at the L.A. Coliseum.
1: And they haven't, you know, they showed that they, if ASU is able to come back. You know, USC showed they couldn't hold the lead over Utah. You know, mm-hmm. Darnold's mobile, which gives a- ASU fits, but he's, uh, what, a redshirt freshman? He's a redshirt, they, yep. <laughs> you know, it was a senior. It was Kessler that, that ruined ASU's day in the first half of that last game. Second half was actually a pretty even matchup. Mm-hmm. So it, I think ASU fans should probably be encouraged but cautious going into this game. And one of the things that might help them, Chile, is that ASU is unranked. Despite beating Cal who beat Texas, ASU finishes 26th in the poll while Texas is at 22nd. Do you think that gives them extra motivation?
0: Yeah, I think, I think ASU is going to – is like they have a chip on their shoulder, and I think they're going to want to prove some things. Um, I don't know that this, uh, this USC team is really so attached – to Clay Helton, that they are going to win one for him, because um, in order to save his job, this might be the one they need to win. Um,
1: well, they're not just competing with, they're not just competing, you know, with the win loss column. That now, now, if they want the best coach in the land, if they want to go after Tom Herman the way that LSU is, they might have to fire their coach
0: now to get
1: in on the Tom
0: Herman, I'm Brad floor, <laughs> because true. LSU dumped less money. Yes. I do not think that. I do not think that uh, this USC this USC team has all sorts of problems, and I think it's, it's a sub five hundred team. I, th- I think it's deeper than deeper than we even know. I think it's tough schedule for them. That.
2: Yeah, the USC's got. Uh, oh, it, got it's going to get harder. Too. Yeah, oh yeah, no,
0: it's, it's going to get harder too. Well, and like H-
1: Hoderbino always says, you know, Devil's Digest. Know subscribe to Devil's Digest. Like Hoderbino always says, they're not going to have issues recruiting. Because, no. you know, you walk outside and trip over a five-star recruit out there and they have parents who went to USC and they grew up watching Reggie Bush. They're, they're going to recruit. If I was their coach, they'd still get four and five that's stars. Right. So that's not going to be the issue. But the fact that they can't coach these kids up is insane uh-huh. to me. Can you imagine what Todd Graham would do with that level oh, sure. of talent oh. if he would have been able to land Jackie Jones or C.J. Pollard from last year's recruiting classes?
0: And hey, Tom Herman's the guy, though. I mean, like... I know a lot, of, a lot of players love him. I mean, he's, he's a true players coach. And this is a dude that will, you know, just to show his bond with his players, he'll go to my boy, Johnny Dang, and get grilled up, put some slugs in his mouth and, like, you know, smile and have fun with it. Um, I, I do think that the USC kids would eat that up because they've never seen anything like that. I don't think they've really seen anything like that. Although, Young, this team, but although it, Young, Sarkeesian, and Kiffin, they weren't that type of coach.
1: Helton said that going into this year, he wanted fundamentals, not flash. Which everyone kind of said they wanted to buy into, but the truth is you go to USC for that flash. <laughs> that absolutely. That's why absolutely. you go. There. You go there because Pete Carroll made it Hollywood. That's right. And because before that, that's who everybody would talk about even when they did have those down years. Correct.
0: So... But, Pete Carroll is to college football kind of what Belichick was is to pro football. Like you notice, like none of none of Pete Carroll's assistants can really get it right at like the college level right now.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think I think a lot of that had to do with the guy in charge. It really did, mm-hmm. and so um, I don't know. It's definitely it definitely creates an opportunity uh, for ASU to to reach up and grab uh, a, a top spot. In the comments, a lot of people didn't think it would be this year. I always thought ASU would be 4-0. i said on this podcast every week, ASU's going to start 4-0, and then I think from that point on, they're going to split. Going into this USC game, I didn't expect them to be this unstable. I am still going to say, because I have the scars of the dirt-cutter era, that ASU is not going to win on the road at 530 in the Coliseum. Wow. Okay. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call this one the first loss. I'm thinking maybe 34-27 USC um, would like to be proven wrong on that. It would be interesting to see a 5-0 and Arizona State team, I think, going into UCLA week. Um, but at the same time, I, that's that's what I'm going to go with. I'm, I'm going to go with the prediction that I made before the season ever started, which was 4-0 to start with, split the rest of the way. I'm sticking with it, thick or thin. What do you guys think? What's your prediction?
2: I like your scoring range at 34-27, 35-28. Until the Sun Devils lose a game, I'm probably going to ride them out because right now I haven't seen major flaws. We've seen, yes, they give up points like nobody's business at times, but I just think that ASU is doing what they need to do to win. They don't always look fantastic. I think this USC team is certainly subpar. So, yeah, I'm going to go with the Sun Devils, and I'm going to do you one point better in each scenario,
0: 35-28. I'm going to take the Sun Devils. I think it's going to be a little bit closer. I'm going to let my man Legatron kick a game winner.
2: Okay.
0: Legatron, who
1: has three of the 750-plus yard field goals in the NCAA this year.
0: Legatron is going to kick a game winner.
1: Oh, wow. In the Coliseum. Coliseum. You get those surrender cobras again.
0: And then Ralph is buying Los Faves in Tempe for all of us.
1: I will take that. I'll, I'll buy you guys tacos anytime. But, hey, so this has been Devil's Junkie Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Check us out on iTunes. Subscribe to Devil's Digest. We really appreciate you listening. Uh, if you know where Jalen Harvey's grill is, it was stolen. So if you can, uh, if, you, if, you, if you see some gold teeth laying around, why don't you get those back to him? Yeah, because me and, me and Jalen are
0: trying to get a picture because I got grills too. I think I'm the only media member with grills. So I,
1: I, I'm going to oh. go ahead and say that that is definitely <laughs> true. Yes. So this has been the Devil's Junkie Podcast uh, with Chili and Brett Quentin. As always, I'm Ralph Hampton. We'll see you on the other side.
0: I was living in a devil town.
1: Didn't
0: know it was a devil town Oh lord, it really brings me down About the devil town